Well, I want to chat with you about another Jewish believer, uh, perhaps somewhat more well-known than Richard. His name is Paul, the one I want to speak to you about uh, in the book of Romans indeed. By the way, if you go by the table, as we've invited you to do, you'll see a number of wonderful books, not the least of which is a book that Richard has written. It's Romans chapter 9 through 11. It's a very, very key passage of Scripture. And Richard's treatment of it is superb. In fact, I don't mind telling you right at the outset, I'm going to steal everything he has said in that book and claim it as my own. But um, don't be in too much of a rush because that's Romans 9. We are in Romans 1. And what's the rush? This is Houston. This is not New York. Slow down. So, uh, Paul started the book, uh, and just to review, he's the author, but he had never been to this place to meet the believers there in Rome, and that explains why his introduction of himself is a little lengthier than typically it is. And he began, as you recall, uh, to say, I'm Paul, I'm a servant, I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm a slave, a rather unusual form of introduction for such a well-known rabbi, someone who was the PhD of his day, and he seemed to be unashamed about that uh, label. I'm a slave of the, I call myself a bond servant of the Messiah Jesus is what he said. And though that's true, God didn't leave it at that. Uh, we read earlier on that God called him an apostle. Yeah, he indeed is a bondservant of Christ Jesus, but the Lord called him as an apostle, uh, a set-apart one. And uh, he was set apart, Paul said, for the gospel, not just to proclaim it, but also to experience and enjoy it. In fact, the sharing of the gospel is much more authentic and effective when you have internalized it for yourself. And when he realized that he was redeemed by the Redeemer, long sought after his own uh, Jewish Messiah, set free from obligations to try to live up to the standards of the law and his own strength. My heavens, he really, really entered into an inexpressible kind of a joy. And he made it clear that this wonderful good news, this message, uh, was not an afterthought in the mind of Almighty God, but that it was promised before its ultimate fulfillment. And we looked at the first promise of the good news way back in the Hebrew Scriptures as we refer to them, or the Old Testament, that was in Genesis, remember? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And Paul said, make no mistake about it, this gospel, this, this best of news, has to do uh, with the Son of God. And Paul said earlier on, he said, remember, he's a descendant of King David. So that was a reference to his humanity. Uh, but Paul, I think, would say, don't stop there. He's distinguished from amongst all in that he's not only a descendant of King David, that's just a reference to his humanity. He's also been distinguished as the Son of God, not by a subtle hint from God, but by a dramatic demonstration of uh, vindicating power, uh, the resurrection. And Paul stood back when he saw all this, and he declared what I think most of us are willing to declare as well. He said, this is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. Now, continuing that thought, we're going to pick up what Paul said in verse 5 of chapter 1. And this is what he says. He says, through whom? And you see, he's speaking of the Messiah Jesus. He's just made the case 
for the central role played in the gospel by the Lord Jesus. And now continuing on, even without missing a beat, he says, through whom? Now, folks, if you get this right, you won't be wrong. That's the whole point of our encampment in the letter to the Romans. If we get the theological truths of Roman right, we will not be wrong. And so you got to get this right. See those two words, through him. Uh, Paul recognized that uh, God has established a vehicle, a mediator, by which we humankind can make contact with him, and it has to be through this Jesus, the Messiah. There is no other way. Uh, most of the world would accept the good things God has to offer. Who would refuse forgiveness and pardon and the blessings of being adopted into the forever family and peace and joy? And all of those things, except most of the world don't want want to uh, obtain those wonderful spiritual gifts through the very restricted Lord Jesus. Why not all roads leading to Rome, spiritually speaking? But no, no, no. Paul said, no, no, no. It has to be through him. He's the mediator. There is no mediator who can stand in the gap. On the divine side, he's the son of God. On the human side, you see, he's the descendant of King David. He's the son of man. He and he alone fulfill the prerequisites to be the mediator of blessing. You cannot pray. You can't praise. You cannot petition God except be through, it be through, except it be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because many people stumble over that. But Paul came to recognize all things have to be through him. And so Paul says it is through him that we have received grace and apostleship. All of us, as believers have been graced, we have received grace, but not all of us have received apostleship. We spoke about that. Grace, general gift of God to all those who call upon his name. Uh, but the gift of apostleship is specific. It's easy to demonstrate that. Folks, we are reading what the apostles wrote. We're not writing scripture. We're reading it. We're reflecting it. We want to uh, apply it. We want to be filled with joy because of its truth. But we didn't write it. But God selected special folks. The prophets of old wrote the Hebrew Scriptures, the First Testament. The apostles wrote the Second Testament, the New Testament. You and I, thousands of years removed, have the privilege of reading it. But we're not apostles in the sense in which uh, Paul was. And now he says, now that we have that straight, grace for everyone, specific biblical offices. No, not for everyone. He says, I'm going to tell you the overarching purpose of my apostolic ministry, and it is this, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Why does he have to say, I want to do this for all the Gentiles? You see, in that day, redemption was a very Jewish thing. Redemption through the Jewish Messiah was a very Jewish thing. And so it was odd, actually, for the blessings of redemption to be, to be expanded to include other peoples, like you peeps. And so then you would have been kind of the novelty for you to get under the umbrella of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My goodness, that was quite a... A novelty, a blessed novelty. Yeah, the tables have turned, haven't they? So Paul is saying, this is not just a Jewish thing. Are you kidding me? What the Jewish Messiah did, he came to do for all, the world. word is actually nations. He came to do with 
all the ethnicities of the world, every tribe and every kindred and every tongue, not just the Jews. Now, today we need exhortation in the other direction, don't we? This Jesus is not just for the Gentiles. He's also for the Jews. In fact, one day we'll actually get to verse 16, which makes the interesting statement to the Jew first, whatever that means. Well, we'll have to read one of Richard's books to figure out what what verse 16 means. But anyway, he's saying, this is my purpose. I have received grace and apostleship for this reason, to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations for the Lord's sake. Now, that phrase, the obedience of faith, really slowed me down. And that's what I camped out on uh, for the last several days. Because the fact that it says the obedience of faith gives a strong implication that there are different kinds of obedience. Paul says the purpose of my ministry is to bring about, uh, in the lives of all people, a quality, a level of obedience, which he called the obedience of faith. So what other kinds of obedience are there? Well, There's a different kind or level of obedience, which is the obedience one renders in order to receive reward. And so, uh, for instance, here's a picture of that kind of obedience. There you go. Yes, uh, these are our doggies. One is is Twinkie, one is Maggie, and I uh, appreciate your empathy. They're both deceased at present. They're not with us, and uh, um, do, do dogs go to heaven? What do you think? Okay, good. Well, that's why it's heaven, right? Because they're dogs. That's what you think. Okay, great. Based on deep theology, I'm sure. But I'm going to accept. So these are our dogs, and uh, look how obedient they are appearing. See, one is sitting already. One is in the process of sitting, looking up to me. I'm out of the picture, but I'm giving them commands to sit. And I really would like to be persuaded they're doing it out of a, uh, a deep and irreversible desire to please me because they are so devoted to me. They love me. And they, this is the obedience of sheer and utter. I would like to think that, but the real reason why they're obeying is because I'm holding in my hand this. And I am saying to them, do you want a treat? <laughs> this is a treat. This is a doggy treat. And they'll do anything to get this little doggy treat. So theirs is a level of obedience that's a doggy level of obedience. Uh, It's the obedience that seeks a reward. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Now, there's another kind of obedience. It's not the obedience that seeks a reward. It's the obedience that seeks to avoid punishment. So here's a little bit of a picture of that. Um, this is the best I can come up with. This is Twinkie, and um, so I told Twinkie, because you didn't obey, I'm going to shave off all your hair. That's not actually the case. She had a skin disease, brought her to the vet. vet told us to do this. The reason I don't have a more authentic picture of me punishing the dogs is that I don't. The boys, yes, the dogs rule the roost. But anyway, so this is, but this is another level of obedience, not that which... Uh, submits to the master for reward, uh, but this is the level of obedience that does what the master wants so as to avoid uh, punishment. But, but, but I don't think that's exactly what Paul is speaking of uh, either. I think Paul is after the obedience of faith. It's a different level of obedience. This could be translated the obedience that comes from faith. 
So it's not the obedience that comes from a desire for reward. It's not the obedience that comes from the fear of punishment. It's the obedience that comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the obedience of fear. It's response to a person, a really gracious and merciful and forgiving and loving and intensely holy person. It's the obedience that flows from one's faith in him. So Paul is saying the sum total of my ministry, what I am all about now that I have received grace and apostleship, is to motivate people, every kind of people, Jewish people and Gentile people and Spanish-speaking people and non-Spanish-speaking people, everybody. My whole purpose is to motivate people to render the kind of obedience to Almighty God that comes from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, this is all for his name's sake. This level of obedience, not the obedience of fear or give me something good and I'll jump through the hoops. No, no, no. Even dogs can manifest that kind of obedience. No, no, no. The kind of obedience that comes from faith in what God has provided through his only begotten son, that kind of obedience is what really brings joy to almighty God. He loves it. When out of love, not fear, people whom he has saved by his grace through our faith. He loves it when we say, oh God, I want to do that. I want to. I don't have to. It's not compulsion. It's not an ought to. It's, it's not a have to. It's a want. I want to do that which is pleasing to you. And the very reason I want to is that I don't have to. I know you'll have me in spite of my disobedience. That's what you saved me from, my sin. And there's something inside of us that says, that's what motivates. Your love for me is what constrains me to seek to do that which gives you joy and which brings you glory. This is not coerced obedience. This is voluntary responsiveness, not to an externally imposed set of religious rules and regulation. Oh, no. This is a love response to the one who has loved us first. The obedience of fear is about trying to win God's favor. But what if you already have God's favor by faith in the Lord Jesus? Well, then your motive for obedience would be entirely different. Good news! If you have Christ by faith, you do have God's favor. In fact, look at what Paul says next in verse 6. He says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm the called of Jesus Christ. The Roman Christians who are the original recipients, they're the called of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, and you, the reader, whose faith is in him, you're also the called of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul is saying? You don't, you don't have to obey to win him. He has won you. He is yours. You are his by your faith forevermore. By his grace, through your faith He's won you. You are already among the called of Jesus Christ. You do not obey him so as to become accepted. You already is the called of Jesus Christ. And there's more you and I ought to know about ourselves. If by faith we've come to know the Messiah. And here it is in verse 7. 
to all who are beloved of God in Rome. The believers there in Rome are the beloved of God. And the believers here in Houston are no less the beloved of God. Do you believe in Jesus? If so, you must not forget that you belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus? If so, you must not forget you are the beloved of Jesus. Do you believe? You belong. Do you belong? You are the beloved of Jesus. You do not render fearful obedience the likes of that which a slave renders. That's the obedience that comes at the crack of a whip. No, you, you render the voluntary loving obedience of one who is loved by God. Paul wrote to those who are, it says, the beloved of God in Rome. And he implied they had two locales, two, two, they occupied two atmospheres. One was physical, geographical, they're in Rome. But the other was more important, ultimate, it was spiritual, it was eternal. They are beloved of God who happened to be in Rome. Their physical reality was Rome. Their spiritual reality was that they're beloved of God. Folks, whatever may be the hardships of life you are now facing, whatever may be part and parcel of the physical reality you occupy, whatever may be the hardships, in other words, of your Rome, please remember your spiritual and eternal reality. It is that you, in Christ, are the beloved of God. And there's more. A Christian, there's more a Christian needs to know about who he or she is, and here it is in verse 7, called as saints. You didn't do this. No tri ecclesiastical tribunal voted on you. Nobody pronounced, no human entity pronounced sainthood on you. God did this to you. This is not your self-designation. If you're in Christ Jesus by faith, this is God's designation. He called you his saints. That means holy ones. And holy ones means set apart ones. You're not holy, neither am I, by our own nature. No, no, no. We're holy by faith in the one who has set us apart for his glory. We do not obey him so as to become one of God's set apart ones. No, we obey him because he has already declared us to be his holy ones. Big difference. And these set apart ones in Rome and in all places uh, of these, Paul says, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. In every one of Paul's letters, 13 in the New Covenant, these two words always appear together. And always in this order, never the reverse order. It's always grace and then peace. It must be that way because grace is the cause and peace is the effect. These are the chief blessings of Christianity and they're yours and mine by faith in Christ Jesus. Peace with God is our constant condition. Though our emotions may fluctuate. See, I think we're getting in trouble. We're saying I lack emotional peace, therefore I may lack Christ. You're missing it. No, 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 no. The essence of this shalom is one's status with the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. By virtue of our faith connection to the Prince of Peace, we have the 
constant condition of being at peace with his father. Lots of things cause me emotional distress. Loss of a loved one, too much pepperoni pizza, whatever. Be careful about letting your feelings be the diagnosis of where you stand with God. You, by God's grace, stand in the constant relationship of no longer being an adversary of God. You're a son and daughter of God. You have you're misdiagnosing your spiritual condition sometimes because you're only seeing your emotional situation. Listen, emotions fluctuate. Good night, especially if you're a woman. Okay, I didn't have to say that. I'm just half of you agree. I don't understand. Listen, a little decorum. We're in church, if you don't mind. <clears throat> folks, folks, folks. Uh, these emotions are wonderful slaves, but they're horrible masters. Listen to me. If by faith you've been mastered by the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the condition, constant condition of peace, though your emotional situation may fluctuate, may come and go. That's not the barometer of your salvation. You've got to take it by faith. If you have accepted the grace of the Father through the sacrifice of his Son, then you're in a state of peace with him. So it's always grace and peace, and therefore, on that basis, we are to render the obedience of faith. You see, we have these riches Grace and peace, and they're not merely wishful thinking by Paul. You know, sometimes say, oh, I hope you have a good day. Oh, I hope it goes good. You know, it's wishful thinking. No, no, though Paul is writing this, no, no, this is not just wishful thinking, grace and peace. Look what it says. Grace and peace, not just offered to us by Paul, their riches, look what it says. From God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? I just found out that I spend most of my energies in the better part of my life before Christ in trying to persuade God to be nice to me, withhold his punishment, and let me off his hook. Now I have found out by his grace, which I've accepted through my faith, I have peace which passes understanding, and I no longer have to exert untold energy in a mad quest to win his favor. I already have it because I read here the Father and the Son are givers. I'm trying to extract from them through my own fleshly obedience apart from Christ gifts that they choose to give contingent not on my efforts but my faith in the finished work of Almighty God. So you see these two juxtaposed. Look, from these gifts, grace and peace, are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I got to tell you something. Nothing speaks to me more decisively of the divinity of Christ than this juxtaposition of Christ with the eternal God. Right? Maybe get this right and you won't be wrong. The Trinity, three in one, equally God. And I have God the Father and God the Son bequeathing to me uh, by faith in the Lord Jesus, grace and peace. The name of no man can be placed by the side of the Almighty in the same sense in which the name of Jesus is placed there. How could he? Because he's fully God, that's who. 
Folks, we're not called upon to mechanically yield to externally imposed religious rules. Let me tell you something. Rabbi Shaul, Paul, who's writing this, oh, was an expert on it. He was at the top of the religious game. You don't get points with God by being at the top of the religious game. You could render obedience, but if it's not the obedience of faith, it's your effort to win the favor of an unapproachably God in your own efforts. And it can't work. Why not? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you say. So obedience alone don't cut the mustard. What about faith alone? Faith without works is dead. So Paul says, you know what, the sum total of my ministries, I want to bring about in the lives of all people uh, such a response to the gospel that what emanates from it is the obedience of faith. That's what he wants. <clears throat> no, not the obedience based on a desire merely for reward. No, 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 not the obedience based only on a desire to avoid punishment, obedience based on a desire to please the God who loves us more than anyone can or ever will. And so Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not coerced, not compelled, not obligatory, if you love me, you'll do it because you'll so, be so enveloped by my unconditional love for you. You will burst. You will explode with the obedience of gratitude and thanksgiving. It will please me because it isn't coerced and it'll disturb the evil one who doesn't believe my love, not the fear of me, the love of me, is enough to change people's lives. So my wife is here tonight. I call your attention to the fact because her attendance has been very erratic. <laughs> so she's here tonight. And by the way, I need a ride home. <laughs> but here's my point. This is going to be a good ending, seriously. So my wife told me when she was a little kid and, and her dad, who, who's with the Lord now, would send her and her brothers off to school. He would say, tell me if I got this right, and I'm sure you will. Um, um, he, 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 would say, he would say to her, he would say, remember who you are. She went off school, but remember who you are. Remember what your family name is. Remember who your father is. Remember who your family is. He was, he was saying, in, in an economy of words, he was just saying, you don't have to earn a thing. You don't have to attain to anything. All you have to do is live up to who you already are. That's what our father said. Remember who you are. You're the beloved. You're the saints. <laughs> You're the ones I've given grace and peace to. You are mine. Remember who you are. Just live up to it and render the obedience of faith. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we're sort of getting it. It's not just obedience. It's the obedience of faith which pleases you. It's not the obedience which adds to or replaces 
your ultimate sacrifice for our sin. It's the obedience we render in response to it. I think we're getting it. It's response to a person. What a motivation. And oh God, are you taking a chance on us? Responding rightly to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the fact that you have loved us with a love that will not let us go, pronounced upon us an entirely new status and identity is so overwhelmingly transforming. I think we're ready to render to you, not as a guilt offering, not as a sin offering, not as a trespass offering, but as a thank offering, the obedience of faith. Oh God, may we who are yours be properly motivated to obey. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.